Welcome to the Fan Engagement Pod. First of all, we're pleased to announce that the first event of the Fan Engagement Network is on the 26th of July at Bristol Rovers. It's a joint event with the Impressive Rovers and their Chief Executive Tom Gorringe, an interview in episode 48 of the pod if you want to listen. If you work or volunteer in a fan engagement role at a club, you're a CEO, a Managing Director, Director or Owner and want to attend, drop us a line at hello at fanengagement.net and we'll reserve you a place. Back to the pod, this episode is with Arjuman Banerjee, author of the Civitas Report, Governing the Beautiful Game, the Future of Football in Civil Society. It's a response to the fan-led review and the white paper on regulation. Arjuman produced the report as the lead football analyst at Civitas, a political think tank based out of Westminster, which conducts forensic research and analysis into critical topics within the British political ecosystem in order to instruct government policy and shape public debate. He has a widely respected FIFA Masters and a Masters degree in history from Durham University, where his research focused on the socio-political and economic history of football. He has experience in working as a journalist for the Football Association and the Black Collective of Media in Sports. We discuss why the Tories, as a largely non-interventionist party, have decided to intervene in football, how the fan-led review addressed the impact of years of poor club fan relations and fan engagement regulation, the nature of the business model of clubs and how the soon-to-be independent regulator will impact the quality of administration and ownership and ultimately, which is what interests me, fan engagement in the game. Policy and ideas are a big part of my motivation and I really enjoyed this chat with Arjuman. If you want to get in touch, ask a question or suggest a topic or guest, drop me a line at hello at fanengagement.net. Episode links are in the podcast description. Keep an eye out at fanengagement.net and find our socials at linktree, which is l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e forward slash think fan engagement and please like subscribe and share it really does help our visibility and if you do work in a fan engagement role at a club we hope to see you on the 26th in bristol enjoy the episode right so um so we were just um very very quickly we were kind of just having a pre-chat and um uh uh sort of talking about the area of work that I do and you sort of saying that you'd only been in it for sort of, you know, a brief period of time. I think you said five minutes. Let's be honest, it's a little bit longer than that. Um, the, length, the, length, the length of time it took to compile this report, which I can't show because we don't have a, a video element to this podcast, but governing the beautiful game, the, the football of um, future of football in civil society. Um, and it was something that I contributed extensively to. We had a long chat about it, didn't we? Yeah. Um, a while back. Um, so just tell us a little bit about your background first, because you, you come from, I'll just say to people, Arjuman, you can't, and that's the correct pronunciation. That is, that you, is, that's you, perfect. You, you, you come from the, um, you come from the policy side and it is an area just so people kind of appreciate. It's an area that with me personally speaking, it's, that's kind of half of what I do, or it's a part, a third of what I do. And so I'm always really interested in ideas from every single a- a- angle and perspective um and it's always interesting of these conversations so you you've you come out of kind of um well left field right field center field you've come out of relatively nowhere appeared on my radar and we had a, we had the conversation you've published this paper what's the you know what, what's your sort of as the modern phraseology i think what's your journey 
<laughs> what's your no. journey, Arjaman? What's your journey? Well, well, first of all, Kev, thanks for thanks for inviting me on today. I'm I'm, I'm sort of I'm really pleased to be here, and I think it's incredibly important that that we have these conversations about fan engagement as as, as much as possible. Uh, with regards to, with regards to my journey, I mean, I I have a master's degree in in history from from Durham University, and my entire focus. Uh, whilst while studying that was the political and economic history of, of football. Um, so studying the way football has influenced and shaped our society from the mid 19th century sort of to present day. Uh, and that's what really got me started. I started doing a lot of media work around that, reporting for the FA. I interned with the with the Black Collective Media and Sport sort of and that sort of really helped me expand my, my horizons. And from there I went to uh, the FIFA Master, which for, for listeners who are sort of less familiar, that's FIFA's MBA program, which, you know, it's very instructive on football governance and, and administration and, and, and stuff like that. Um, and that's from there is when I entered the policy side of things after finishing that, that particular MBA is when, and this was in the context of the fan-led review had been published and we knew a government white paper was currently was, cur- was currently on the horizon. Um, Civitas, the think tank for which I produced this, this document, were looking for someone to head up this project, uh, responding to Tracy Crouch's fan-led review um, on, on English football and creating a sustainable version, a sustainable future for English football, um, and really respond to that with some football expertise. Um, which is uh, which is how I got involved and how I got hired for that project, and that's really what the what the report looks at. It it takes the foundations, very positive foundations, I have to say, from the Tracy Crouch report uh, review, and discusses the positive elements of that where we can move forward, and discusses some of the challenges as well, and some of the areas where perhaps it doesn't quite hold water quite as well. And um, and yeah, I mean that's how I sort of got to to, to this point today, and uh, appeared on a, the fan engagement podcast. Uh, well, pod as we call it. Um, sorry to be a pedant. It's modern terminology. Confusing. It's fine. No, there is another. There is another podcast which doesn't get published anymore called the Fan Engagement Podcast. I wouldn't bother tuning into it. I went. <laughs> fan Engagement Pod. Anyway, look, don't worry about that. Um, so, you, you, you know, Civitas is known as a centre right think tank. Um, what, what's the centre right doing? You know, um, I don't know about your own politics, but what's the centre right doing poking around regulation when it comes to um, regulation? I don't think it's a radical thing to say that traditionally the centre-right has not been as much of the modern centre-right in this country since the 1980s has not been um, a great embrace of regulation. It's usually the other way around and the arguments against regulation tend to come from that side. What is it do you think that has um, provoked this change in terms of the government doing it, uh, you know, and, and uh, under commissioning the fan-led review and then the fact that the um the regulator has been backed which is a massive regulatory intervention um you know it's in a failing market but as i said the center right don't traditionally want to do these things mm-hmm. um and then civitas itself as a as a think tank why is it engaging in that that debate in that way well, it, think? It, it's, it's a very interesting question i mean the first the first thing i would say is that civitas as a think tank i mean you label it center right they're at least completely independent they're a, all sorts of angles from all sorts of sides and that's one of the beauties of that particular think tank um that it that you know i wouldn't label it center right i'd I'd label it sort of completely independent completely flexible and and just 
um, just very positive on, on looking to find some solutions to problems within within civil society. Um, so I think it, it, it's, it's a really interesting point about the centre right more generally, though, and how um, regulation has managed to get into the conversation there. I mean, talk about if we, if we strip this back to the to, to the formation of fan led review and the conservative government as you say um commissioning that i mean that was sort of born mainly out of two two catalysts there were several sort of minor reasons but the two main catalysts behind the commission of fan led review were the increasing ec- epidemic of football clubs struggling either struggling financially or being fully liquidated or dissolved we see that with Berry, with macclesville town chester city russian diamonds the list sort of goes on and the second one is with one particularly related to fan engagement which is the formation of the european super league which highlighted sort of better than anything the alienation of supporters from uh from the powers that be at football clubs and the backlash to that and the fact that we got to that stage was a bit of a wake-up call i think not not just for the government for everyone but also for the government to to the status of english football and english men's football and and how we got to that point and you know like you say i mean the, the right have been more sort of focused on the on the free market and you know, straying away from regulation and this sort of line that always comes up that regulation deters investment. But what became very apparent through, in particular, those two, those two incidents, uh, those those two crises, was that in the case of football, football is a unique market, and I think the realization of that sort of hit home. And um, and the free market in football's case, because of the uniqueness of that market, either had failed or was failing. And there needed to be some sort of review. And at this point, the term regulation wasn't being talked about so much, but there needed to be some sort of review as to what has to change within English football, how how the landscape has to change. And that's what the Tracy Crouch review came out with, that we need a sort of independent regulator for English football because of the position that we now find ourselves in with the failing of the market. in, in a footballing context, if that sort of makes any sense at all. I'm, so, I'm sorry, I know I've sort of rambled for a bit there. No, not at all. Look, it's a conversation. It's not, um, I'm, I'm not, um, uh, I'm not, well, I'm definitely not Jeremy Vine. Um, <laughs> heaven defend. Sorry, Jeremy, I don't particularly like your interviewing style. Um, but, you know, it's, um, it, it's it, you know, it's important, it's important to talk through these things and kind of get people to understand how then we are. And it's good that you, mention the previous failures because i think to some ex- to some extent i sometimes feel as though the fan-led review because i suppose because you kind of have periods of certainly in football football failures in football regulation you have periods of extreme activity and then you would have um so for example for people not familiar um with it but you will be because you studied all of this you have the period where, you know, um, uh, in the early 2000s when uh, ITV Digital failed, um, my club's league place was was um, given away to another town. Um, and then for a period, things settle when the, you know, somewhat imperious Lord Marwini becomes Football League chairman, still one of the best chairman of any, I think, any certainly in, in the football competition. Um, you know, magnificent in many ways, and a, and a, and a, and a, and a, and a great, per, you know, really settled things down. And that's when I was working for support, started working for Sports Directs. And then, you know, 
I'm trying to remember all the periods, but you periodically have these failures and these and then and then, you know, people will then have a tendency to forget what went before in a similar way to people forgetting that the independent regulator was proposed in the late 90s um, and it, which is what supporters direct was created out of. And that, you know, it's really important that we remember there's a lineage here. It's not just suddenly. Um, yes, of course, opportunism exists in politics. It's necessary sometimes for ideas to happen and to become policy, isn't it? Yes. Um, that That is almost the dynamic of politics is opportunism, um, is seeing the opportunity, seizing it and putting something in place. So it's really important that we realise, actually, I think that perhaps the interest in what your viewers is, is that to some extent, regardless of whether the, <clears throat> the centre right were late to the party or not, it was very necessary for them to finally realise that you couldn't mess around with this and that the early, t you know, that, so the you know, 2010 and the um, and the Culture Media Sports Select Committee, you know, that didn't do what was necessary and they've realised that and that's a good thing. And now we've realised that actually perhaps, and I'd be interested in your view on this, and we will get onto fan engagement explicitly, obviously, because we have to, but this is setting the scene, is actually maybe what the right has realised, the centre right has realised is, in certainly in some cases and in failing um cartels which is obviously what football is monopolies making up cartels right is that the right kind of regulation is doesn't deter but actually encourages good investment and good business practice doesn't it absolutely isn't that what we're talking about no i i, I think so completely i think that when the regulation is done correctly and as long as it's done with a with a, with care and with um um with, with expertise i think it can actually be a, a real positive towards uh towards investment in some ways i mean if you lay out the rules and regulations to external investors internal investments lay out the rules of the game to them there's no reason why that should deter their investment in fact it gives them if anything a more secure network a more secure industry in which they are they are investing um so no i i think that's completely the case i mean there is it's important to note that we talk here about the centre-right and the Conservative Party um, being increasingly pro-regulation in the football sphere. There is still a lot of debate around this. There is, There are certain elements. Uh, there was a, 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 a report um, similar to mine, as in similar to mine in terms of the topic, not the content, that came out from the, uh, the IEA, which completely argued against uh, against any sort of regulation. So it is, it is still a debate that, that, that's being had. Um, and, and their sort of argument is that, that football isn't really a failing industry when you, when you, when you look at it from, from certain angles, which, which I sort of reject given the, the, the social scope of football and, and even one failing football club is, 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 is far too I mean, if you, if you, if you, I think if you looked at it from um, behind a closed door with a blanket on your head and earphones on, you'd, you'd say that it wasn't failing. No. So you have to be utterly ignorant um, and willfully ignore the facts. I suppose the problem with that view, and I would argue fairly strongly that the IA aren't really centre right anyway, but that's let's not get too caught no, no, let's not get bogged down in that. Yeah. But um I think if you in in terms of in terms of regulation, if um uh, do you know what um, um I mean I um, I, you know, I, th I don't think it's worth spending too much time on the IEA's report because it's so utterly against the tide. Um, 
and there's nothing wrong with being against the tide, by the way, because I think it's important to be a skeptic. But I, but to be quite honest with you, my view is having read it or having sick, having read some of the sort of major headlines, I'm not going to pretend I've delved into it, is that it was none of it was really a surprise. And I would expect um, a, a self-titled free market think tank of that type to be arguing against regulation at every single turn. Um, but, you know, for me, that view is discredited. And we know I don't want to go too deep into politics nationally we know what happens when that kind of perspective gets too many of the levers of power it doesn't really work um does it quasi or liz so <laughs> we um you know um we must engage with that because i think it is important as well to point out one of the things for me and this is where fan engagement does matter a great deal to me or that does matter a great deal to this whole thing is that um the the idea of clubs as businesses now i've come through this period of time where i think people are now beginning to understand the nature of clubs as businesses because they are Absolutely. they are very specific and particular um and they have to be treated in a very specific and particular way and thus regulated in a very specific and particular way because of that nature of their local monopolies and they act as cartels. The monopolies are the clubs, the cartels are the leagues, right? And the competitions, no one else can set up in competition without going through that process. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, then that bit about fan engagement is where it really matters to define how you behave in that quote unquote marketplace, as fixed as it is, mm-hmm. that marketplace, right? So, you know, you've extensively covered that. You've obviously, uh, very pleasingly for me, looked extensively at the fan engagement index as well as other areas um and you know it the fan led review took that area seriously what what is it with um fan engagement for you that did you see as in your report you know is there a sort of rank order of where you think attention needs to be paid by by the regulator that's coming down the line you know is there is there a kind of you know where does fan engagement sit on that because i mean one of the most one of the primary issues has got to be the financial um, uh, and administrative behaviour of football clubs, because that sets the tone for everything. If you have great fan engagement and the finances are terrible and they're all going bust, it doesn't make any difference. So what, where, you know, what's the, the makeup here when, when, when in, your, in your mind? How, how do you see things sitting? Well, no, um, it, it's, it's an interesting question. I mean, I, I think, like you say, a lot of the focus of the family review and later the white paper has quite understandably been on on the financial side of football clubs and 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 all of that element but having said that the family review did in itself family reviews split into 11 sort of main chapters two of which covered fan engagement in sort of different costs uh, in in different contexts one on direct fan engagement and one of the protection of club heritage, right? So it is clearly a priority, and and we, I mean, you'll know you'll know this better than I, because it is it is a priority partly because of the alienation we've seen amongst um, of fans, which resulted in the European Super League, and partly because levels of fan engagement currently are still incredibly variable across the football pyramid, and we need to get. A, a, a some sort of standardization to raise levels sort of across the board so from that context I, I think it is it's very heartening to see that both the white paper and the family review see it as a priority I was slightly I think one of the things about the family review is that it was sort of written it was written fantastic I think it's a fantastic piece of work but there, there are certain elements of it which are 
sort of clearly written by people who don't have a lot of in, uh, experience within the football industry. They don't, whilst they understand the industry generally, they don't sort of get the nuances of it. So the direction it was it, it was sort of taking there. There was a little a few question marks which I tried to iron out in in gardening the beautiful game. But what what's really encouraging for me is that. Like you say, it is being taken incredibly seriously. Uh, it is being seen as one of the priorities, not perhaps the priority, quite understandably, but one of the priorities for when this regulator comes in. And we can see that because the the, the white paper that came out about two, three months ago, um, one of its stipulations was that football clubs, in order to um, be able to compete within English competition, next not next season but whatever season is is coming next have to meet certain licensing criteria and one of the licensing criteria that the white paper recommends is this minimum standard of fan engagement which is yet to be determined it's still a little bit vague for me but it's moving in the right direction so in order for football clubs to be licensed as part of that licensing system introduced by the regulator there has to be at least some sort of base level engagement which currently still we see is 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 not there i mean i think what is it only 35 of 92 of the 92 clubs have fan have fan forums which is the the sort of base level of the football supporters association pyramid of fan engagement so even the even the most basic level over yeah. half of over half of football clubs within the pyramid are failing to meet that so i think that particular recommendation within the white paper and in the fan view is, is only a positive yeah, I mean, I'm bound here to say um, if you want the statistics, then you can find a lot of it on the fan engagement index. But um, and my, you know, my base level equally, we come from the same place on this. Us and the FFA, me and the FSA, in many respects, um, is the fans forum. Yeah, the open. This is so people understand. This is the open groups of um, of fans um, where you know it's kind of what I call the kind of global transparency, um, if you like, where you come out and you you've got nothing to hide, as it were. Um, <clears throat> The interesting thing about all of this, of course, is that um, it's quite it's quite odd, but completely within the modus operandi of English football, that it's taken government intervention to force a proper licensing system, which exists everywhere else. Well, it exists in most, in a lot of modern football environments, and you will know this better than me. Um, you know, the idea of it is a fed, very straightforward thing. Um, the fact that we've had this resistance for so long, and I know that in the, in the sort of 2010, 2011, or the Culture Media Sports Select Committee, that was where the committee wanted football to go. And the Premier League did its usual job of, and, and it's quite magnificent as a, as a piece of policy work um, and, and public affairs work and political communications. It's quite extraordinary how the Premier League has managed to resist for so long managed to essentially get that one out of the way as well. Um, so uh, the observation for me is, is it's quite ridiculous that it's taken this level of strong arming to get the Premier League to just be like everyone else. Um, maybe that says something about how it thinks about itself as a competition or whether clubs think about themselves collectively. Um, but the things are kind of that come out of what you just said there is it's sort of that thing of is part I think part I think and I'd be interested in what you have to say about this is there's still some degree of the residual every club is different idea where um you know a club at the top 
you know, and I'm not just picking on them for the sake of it. I'm going to do it at the top of my head. Uh, you know, Aston Villa could just say, well, we're very different from, um, uh, you know, uh, Old Gillingham. And, you know, I've always understood the concept of, of size. Most of us do, right? Size is a distinguishing factor. But it's a football club, right? It has a stadium and people go and watch football matches. Um, that is the basic function of a football club. If you're telling me somehow that the clubs that play in the top division are playing moon ball, yeah. um, well, they're not, are they? They're playing football. They have a stadium and people go to it. That's the basic format of a football club. So, are we? Do you think? Do you think we're kind of coming to the end of that? You know, has that has that argument pretty much dead now? That well, you can't possibly regulate us in that way. You know, League One and and the and the Premier League, um, in in similar ways because we're so different. Obviously, there will be some different regulations because you have got hyper finance, hyper financed international internationalization at the top level you don't have it so much further down but i would argue it's still there mm-hmm. but is have we kind of is that do you think that argument about all clubs are different which is often used in fan engagement circles do you think that's kind of died a death or are we still i think i think there's a very a very simple answer to this which is yes and the reason for for that is if you look at the the family review or you look at Governing the Beautiful Game White Paper, or you look at the White Paper and what they say about fan engagement across the board, there is nothing in there that is unreasonable for a Premier League club or a, or a club struggling in, in League Two to sort of meet. If we look at it materially, let's break it down, right? A fans forum, a um, reporting on board meeting minutes, right? This is, this is not particularly complex stuff. This is very, very simple base level stuff that it's not unreasonable to ask an organisation of any size, whether that's Manchester City winning the Premier League or dear old Gillingham struggling within League Two to to sort of report on. Now, this is not particularly, and I think there, there's a bit of a misconception here or maybe a forced misconception amongst the clubs at the, at the higher level. This is not radical stuff. We're, we're not you know, completely changing the landscape here. Like I said, we're not playing moonball. This is this is minor tweaks and changes, which you could argue in a scale of big organisations in the context of big organisations, really sort of doesn't scratch, barely scratches the surface of 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 their duties and responsibilities. To and if you look at it like like you say, from a from a um, uh, from a business point of view, duties and responsibilities to their consumers. Like that's, uh, it, it, it really is the bare minimum. So, so yeah, I think that argument has sort of died it out. And it's, um, it, it's, it's, pretty much, it's pretty much redundant now because there's nothing for me that is being forced out of hand or is, is unreasonable for any club within the 92. So how about, I mean, how about the idea, you know, this, this gets used as a, as a um, uh, you know, the, 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 these are these are all slightly different approaches um, from my experience of sort of political communications, lobbying, public affairs type of approaches to football regulation, fans don't want to be bothered with board minutes. Why do they want to read board minutes? What's, you know, it, it, why do people want to know that, you know, we've agreed this deal with a turfing company or uh, what do you think, you know, is I'm, I'm trying to phrase this so you get what I'm trying to get at here, because actually, obviously I think it's valuable, but why is something like that valuable? Because you will get people saying, Fans don't want to know about that. They just want to go and turn up and watch the game. 
Well, well, this is the thing. I, I think the people who make that argument, and again, I'm not trying to be diplomatic, the people who make that argument predominantly are people without a nuanced understanding of the football industry. And this goes back to what I was saying previously, Kev, that the football the football industry is incredibly unique. It's it's in, it's in, it's incredibly uh it's incredibly specialized in that context. So no, if if you're talking about a a supermarket chain, my local my local supermarket. No, I, I, I don't I don't care about the board minutes of whatever's being said at the highest level of that supermarket chain. I don't have that sort of attachment to it. But but with my football club, I really do care because it goes beyond that. It's visceral. It, and you can't change your football club. It's 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 in my heart. You know, I'm not special in that regard. This is something that 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 every football fan feels to more or less extent, right? Because it is part of your identity in a way that a supermarket chain or a or a bank is is not because it forms part of who you are. Particularly, I mean, it's happened all over the world, but it's it's I think a particular thing. I don't think it's unfair to say in England that uh, that it is such a a cultural tenet. It's such a, it's such a sense of community and clubs, community assets, and it's such a part of your identity. And of course, people care. I'm not saying everybody's going to care. Absolutely, some people will just want to go and watch the match. But you've got a significant number of people who will care and will care about the direction of their football club because any attack on their football club, any failure of their football club, is an attack on a failure of their particular identity. Yeah, it's uh, what I've what I try to put across in this is that it's not even that you want to read them. The fact that there is a reassurance, and that and the point of all of this, point of a lot of fan engagement in my experience, is not that you will get you will suddenly get a mass um, a mass movement of democracy in football. You can argue for fan, 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 fan-owned football clubs. And I've always been very honest about how I view ownership and that I think fan ownership, given the right conditions, is superior. But we're not in that position in this country. Um, and we, 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 we have to make the structure and system we have work. A lot of the measures that are put in place, as you say, very reasonable small c conservative deliberately so um and um but but are measures of reassurance aren't they let's you know let that the the protection of patrimony of assets um i mean i'm just out of interest actually i mean when it comes to that um i'm not i'm not going to pretend i've sat and given it huge long nights of wrangling and thought about it but I just keep coming back to the view on the on the protection of assets thing is actually the big problem was that in the um, and you'll be able to put an exact date on it. But in the early 2000s, the FA let the rule on the protection of stadia fall away, which was that they couldn't be sold for profit. They couldn't be removed from the football club company. And um, uh, and it was because of something that happened with one of their own counsellors, one of their own um, directors. Um, and um, wouldn't it just be easier? to reinstate that rule rather than creating this slightly what I kind of see is perhaps slightly Byzantine um, uh, rule on the protection of, of patrimony. Uh, yeah. So um, it, it, it's an interesting perspective. I, I quite like the, the recommendation made from, from the white paper about this protection of protection of heritage. I, I, I think it, Materially, there's not too much different from the old from uh, from, from, from the old law before it was redacted. Redacted is not the right word. Rescinded uh, b- 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 before it was rescinded. But what this does do is it even symbolically gives gives fans more of a position of power. It, it, it helps them feel more integrated as part of a football club if, if they've sort of got the final final say on that. And you've got to remember, this is not just about this is not just about football stadia. This this new um, proposal 
is everything from sort of club crest to 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 to, to, to color. So it's it's a little bit broader, a little yeah. bit broader than the old law as well, which I, which I think is really good because we've seen all sorts of examples of you know. Mm-hmm. Club Crests and Cardiff City changing their colours to red and all, all, all that sort yeah. of thing, which, which yeah. flies in the face of what good fan engagement should be. And I, so I think it's more of a, this is this is a bit of a step forward from the old law. Yeah, OK. So it's actually taking something that should have stayed in place, didn't, bringing it back in, wrapping it up with some other things that actually are similar enough and giving it a kind of, and giving it a position, making, it's not, it's more, I've written symbolic, it's more than symbolic. Really. No, it is. So, so, um, look, I mean, one of the things that we, um, you know, all have to um, deal with is, um, is, 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 is how football has become this, you know, and sport has anyway, but football particularly, um, this global phenomenon. And it's because it's, you know, largely because it's event, um, you know, when it comes to broadcasting, it's, it's event broadcasting. It, it, these are things you can watch live in a way that we used to watch. Morecambe and Wise, or you know, we're talking about in the seventies and eighties. Obviously, yeah, there'll be things, there'll be things that will accord to to the younger generations, you Gen Z lot. Um, uh, but you know, you know what I mean. You know, the event that that thing of event TV when you switch the television on and you all watch together. So a lot of it is being driven by that. It's being um, driven by um, you know whether you think it's in retreat or not, but it's still being driven by globalization. Um, and you know internationalization globalization um you know and um there is always that thing that it's another line and it was something that Richard Scudamore very cleverly deployed in in around 2010 when he started to say try to break the barriers down um uh you know not in a peace and love way but in a in a way to try to, to protect his members um uh, of the the difference between domestic and international fans. Now, this is still an issue, and I don't think that the regulator is there to answer that question, and neither should it be, because this should be a domestic question. But where do the I mean, I won't say the mythical global fan base, because there are some um, clubs. There, every club has fans in different countries. But what about the global fan base? You know, what about the internationalisation? How you know is this actually more about recalibrating the balance? If I'm not completely screwing up my metaphors, um, you know, rebalancing football clubs to make them understand that their roots really matter, and that actually ultimately, whether Liverpool go and play in Malaysia and get seventy thousand people watching them. The reason they do that is because they play where they play. Their history is what it is. Um, it's not because they tour around the world like the Harlem Globetrotters in closed season. It's because they are from Liverpool. They are the club they are. Is that what this ultimately really is about, isn't it? It's the rebalance of of the the role of the domestic fan in a lot of ways. Well, yeah, I mean, rebalance is an interesting way of, way of putting it. I mean, it, like, like you quite correctly say, I mean the globalization commercialization and monetization of football has led to this dichotomy where clubs are trying to increase their global fan base while staying true to their roots and it's it's that old phrase um global businesses local clubs and it's the multi-billion dollar question of how how that is achieved and i think one of one of one of the aims of this is to help clubs to to do that because 
you know, English football and English football clubs are fantastic exports for 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 the British economy and and for for, for all that sort of side of things. But what this regulator does and what this regulation I, I hope will do is allow clubs to sustainably continue that sort of market of global expansion whilst and this is the area that's not being done particularly well in certain cases now whilst continuing to be close to their to their sort of roots i mean i think in a lot of clubs cases they just need that sort of direction they need that sort of regulation in order to do this sustainably and to ensure that in their quite understandable ambition to globalize themselves they don't neglect their roots and their domestic set of incredibly hardcore fans and I, I think i think it, it is a multi-billion dollar question multi-billion pound question um and i'm hoping that if this regulation comes back to what we said previously if this regulation is done correctly and it's done with care and it's done with expertise it can really help football clubs and that is the main purpose of the regulator but help i like and i like that i it's a phrase i used repeatedly myself when i was um head of policy at, at supporters direct um talking about uh well and even before that for a long time i i would certainly when i was talking externally in my sort of communications role and and as a and as a caseworker as I always was that i would always be saying look actually i think it's unfair to expect a group of um clubs to decide on um all of these regulations because what it does is it takes you know it means that they're um, you know, their their reason for wanting a regulation or not wanting a regulation are very, very specific to themselves and possibly a small group of like minded clubs. You really then turning it into a sort of, you know, who 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 can create the most powerful um, group of clubs and argue for what they want rather than it being a sense of the good um, because, you know, atop the pyramid and all that kind of stuff. But just even in the pre even in even in within the Premier League, within the Football League, um, within the National League, that actually just the acceptance that it's not, you know, if you've got clubs trying to compete on the pitch, the worst thing you can do is end up having those same motivations, effectively those same motivations being used to to shape and determine regulation. Um because it just it's distracting, if nothing else. Yeah. And, and there's another side it's of unfair. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there's another side to this, in, in them. Which, which is that clubs quite understandably see the international market as a as a new revenue stream, and that's that's completely correct. But uh, an even more sort of secure and sustainable revenue stream is to hone in on domestic fans, to improve the fan engagement experience, and to and and to use that to in in, in order to, for example, get more gate receipts, in order to bring in more fans, in order to reach out to the community more, and that in itself is almost a more tried and tested, more secure, more sustainable business stream. And um, as the as the international outreach, and I don't think that's something that's in a lot of cases, and maybe this is sort of generalisation, but I don't think that, that that's something that's understood well enough amongst football club directorship and football club ownership. And I think that's something that this regulation, uh, and it's something I've tried to lead to in Governing the Beautiful Game, that's something that that tries to alleviate. So um, we're going to have a regulator come what may, because whether, um, you know, everyone's hoping that this present government 
um, within the time it has left, which isn't probably isn't going to be very long. Um, you know, it's going to be a year and a bit, probably. Um, at the very, very most, so people understand, early 2025 is the absolute latest, and that really is very, very early 2025, the absolute latest they can go to the country. Um, if it doesn't happen under this government, which would be a real shame, it's going to happen under a Labour government. Um, and even if Labour didn't get a majority, no one is going to oppose the adoption of a regulator. This is something that is coming. Um, do you see any... Will there be any difference, do you think, if this government doesn't find the legislative time, if the white paper doesn't pass um, into uh, into bill form and into law? Um, and even if it does, um, you know, we're never going to have the time to establish the regulator fully in that period. Do you think we, you know, is there going to do you think there are going to be changes along the way? Do you think can you see it coming out slightly differently from where we are now? You know, I mean, to some extent, I know there's a, I know there's certainly I know there's an, a, a lot of discussion at the moment about where the regulator will sit precisely. And I've, I'm told that some discussion is talking about it sitting within the Financial Services Authority, um, you know, which to me, I can see why they would think that and why that might make sense. Um, but, you know, for people and ultimately this is a fan engagement pod this 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 is a discussion about and get fan engagement but you know we're looking at it from the perspective of policy how long before fans and clubs can start to see the effects of this and will they be largely what we've seen laid out in the white paper or will do you think you know where tell us the future oh I don't claim to be, to, be, to, be, to be able to put me on the spot there, Kevin. Um, no, um, I think I'll answer the second part of that question first. So I think the word you used there is, is change. Are things going to change uh, depending on what government's in place or even within the same government? Um, are, are things going to be altered? I think change is possibly the wrong word. I think clarification is is probably is probably a better one i'm not i'm not sure we're going to see sort of 180 degree turns on 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 particular points but there's there's a lot of this stuff and i, I say this in government if you forget there's a lot of this stuff that does need fleshing out a little bit more there's a lot of this stuff that needs ironing out and and that's what we're going to see and what's going to be interesting like you say in terms of parliamentary time is which government has the time to shape that in the mold of their politics, which is why I think it's a massive incentive for this Conservative government, as we say, the polls are not looking good for, for the current government, to, to try and get this through quickly. Um, I, I, so in, in, in terms of time frame, I mean, that's incredibly sort of difficult. I, I don't claim to be able to, to, to be able to, to say exactly when this regulator is going to come in. I mean, at the moment, there's no parliamentary time, uh, that is what we're told. So it's probably been kicked into the medium grasp, um, and whether that'll be kicked into the in, in, into the grass for the next government is sort of I mean you, you're, you're going to have to you're going to have to ask Liz Fraser and and and, and Rishi Sunak and, and and Damien Green and all the rest of it. That's probably not a question for me. But this is and like you say, it's what I will say is that this is this is something that's gaining increasing sort of media traction. This is something that's being reported on. This is not going away. This is not an issue that's hiding. We're talking about it here on the fan engagement pod. It's being talked about in quite high circles within within sort of government and quite high circles within the media right so this this is this is not something the government whichever government that is can hide away from so long so my hope is and this is not based on anything particular but my hope is it'll be sort of sooner rather than later can i put an exact date on it probably not but hopefully within the next few if we're talking football terms within the next few football seasons 
Right now, um, normally I leave the last word to um, to the to the guests. So can you just give us a quick um, bit of information for where to find your report governing the beautiful game, the future of football and civil society, um, and just tell us what you're what 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 are you what are you up to now, and what you're doing, uh, what you're planning to do in this area, because you really aren't going to be um, moving off and studying something else. Football is your um, is your bag, isn't it? So. Absolutely. Um, so tell us where the report can be found. Tell us about your what are you doing next? Yeah, so um, this report can be found uh, on, on the Silvertas website. You can download it in PDF form for completely free. You can also buy it for what I would argue is very reasonable £9 um, from, from the Silvertas website. Also, Governing the for Game, the Future of, of Civil Society. In terms of what I'm doing next, I'm staying in this space. I'm, uh, I'm consulting with sort of various people about um, how, how football regulation can be shaped going forward. And I'm exploring a number of different options in, in that context as, uh, as, as, as well. So so I'm, I'm hoping that that um, a lot of football minds can come together, um, sort of including my, myself and people like you, Kevin, and, and make really make this regulation because it's a very pivotal moment in English football. It's, this is this is a huge shakeup potentially. Uh, can really make this regulation worthwhile and make this regulation run smoothly, and 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 that that, that that's what I'll be doing. I hope you enjoyed that edition of the Fan Engagement Pod. You can sign up to the Fan Engagement Network, catch up with all the latest news, Fan Engagement Indexes, back editions of the Fan Engagement Pod and more at fanengagement.net. And don't forget, if you work at a club, uh, we hope to see you in Bristol at Bristol Rovers Football Club in a joint event, the first of the Fan Engagement Network, on the 26th of July. See you then. <laughs>